Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk? We listen. My guest today has been working in banking and the financial sector for over 20 years. He has a wealth of knowledge in fintech, payments, e-commerce and digital implementation. A fabulous conversation awaits my listeners today at Heads Talk. But before we get into that, here is a brief message. This episode is sponsored by Eurus. Eurus Private Capital Forum is transitioning online with on-demand sessions offering attendees the utmost flexibility to access industry-specific content and deals on their terms. Launching this coming February, Euros 2022 will bring together 100 speakers from across Europe over a broad agenda covering private equity, venture capital, real estate and private debt. For details, visit www.eurosforum.org. Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle Schwitter. Panagiotis Kriaris is the head of business development for UNSA. He has held a number of leading positions across European countries in well known financial institutions to include Western Union International Bank, Sharebank Europe, Eurobank EFG, and Societe Generale. He has been at the forefront of global open banking since it began and has spent his career at the interface between financial institutions and the technology that underpins them. In the process, Panagiotis has gained in-depth end-to-end understanding of banking function, retail banking, payment systems, digital projects and fintech solutions, as well as being pretty versed on the current challenges and opportunities in the industry. Let's now have a conversation on this brand new series of Heads Talk. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Panagiotis to Heads Talk. Many thanks for being with us today. Hello, pleasure to be here. Let's start because we've got quite a bit to get through today. Um, A a quick introductory question, but I suspect there is a detailed answer to this. Can you tell my listeners about the evolution of fintech? That's from 1.0 to 3.5? That's a very good question. So the, the application of uh, technology to finance, better known as, as fintech, I think we, sh- we will all agree that uh, it has changed profoundly financial services over the past decades. Uh, if we take a look at uh, what this uh, revolution looks like, I would say that uh, even though the history certainly goes uh, uh, back to before the, the turn of the century, I would focus mostly uh, beginning of uh, the 2000s. And I think this has marked the effort of um, financial services players to experiment with digital channels. So let's say that phase one has been uh, kind of same services from uh, same institutions, but trying to use digital channels. So the so-called incumbents, the the banks, they have been going on live Mm -hmm. and trying to set up uh, shop online and services online under the roof of what we know today, I would say, as uh, online banking. Um, so I, I would say that this has been mainly um, underpinning the, the, the first century, so until the 2010. Although I would say that up to 2010, I mean, before the 2010, I would uh, mark uh, 2007 and 2008 as two milestones. 
First of all, because in 2007, I think as we all know, we had the launch of uh, the smartphone, the first iPhone, and this is certainly a milestone, despite the fact that it was only a few years ago, a few years later, that the maturity and the takeoff of this uh, apps ecosystem has revolutionized the way we consume uh, financial services. So that's one. The second one is, uh, I would say, the 2008 financial crash, when fintech uh, kind of became also a common term outside of the finance uh, domain. And I would say that we, we, we can kind of identify two reasons for this. I think the first one is that uh, we had the various uh, uh, venture capitalist firms, uh, investments, uh, investment schemes, and uh, that they would uh, actually looking for a better way to find uh, uh, investments, alternative uh, investments. That's the first one because of the of the crash. And the second one has been that a lot of talent that had been laid off from, from banks, uh, they started looking for new opportunities. And I think a lot of them went on to create uh, or to co-create uh, the, the fintechs or some of the fintechs that we know today mm-hmm. or the startups. Mm-hmm. So I think that is, if you combine uh, these two factors together, uh, would kind of lead us to the second wave, which is going from uh, after 2010, if I could uh, define this in terms of time. And uh, also I would say running for a, for a decade. Um, so, and I think this uh, second phase has a lot to do with uh, enhanced services and with also leveraging the, the, the technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was all about this uh, kind of uh, democratization of financial services by means of the, the famous uh, unbundling of, uh, so the disruption of the traditional uh, value chain by means of uh, bringing a new breed of, uh, of products, mainly revamping what we see on the, on the front end, on the front side, on the consumer side, uh, on the consumer side and uh, kind of addressing the pain points that the consumers uh, used to have so far. So I think that's uh, that's a good way to kind of um, describe this uh, the so-called uh, uh, second phase, and I think within this uh, second phase we have seen the the rise of, of many many fintechs. I think they have gone through uh, several maturity phases. So starting from uh, kind of uh, smaller uh, companies, I think we have lots of uh, lots of examples, especially on the payment space. I mean, if you take uh, for example PayPal. They were just uh, found in uh, 1998, and then uh, I would say that uh, they have really become, uh, for example, big along with other players like uh, like Stripe, like Square. So I think we, we the, this uh, kind of uh, maturity phase that I was uh, referring to is uh, is very much evident uh, if we take uh, these kind of examples. So this uh, I would say was the the second phase, and I think we are now. Um, at the at the middle of uh, of the third phase, I, so I would define the third phase having started uh, maybe at the at the beginning of uh, 2020, uh, mm-hmm. and I would say that uh, we are now moving from so let's say from the customer experience, from the technologies. Uh, so this was the second wave. I think the third wave that we are now experiencing is all about uh, mass customization, hyper hyper customization, uh, contextual personalized personalized experiences, mm-hmm. embedded customer journeys, and the so-called um, rebundling. And I was actually writing about this uh, a couple of days ago, and I find it very interesting that uh, although we say that the kind of, let's say, the fintech revolution or one of the key elements of the revolution 
was the unbundling of the services. So let's say that we take, uh, for example, one niche market or one niche segment, and then we see how we can offer, how we can get the best out of this. I think it's all uh, now it's all going to be uh, focusing on the rebundling, meaning that uh, there is a, uh, there are lots of uh, super apps that we see nowadays uh, kind of playing a leading role, especially in Asia. I think this is also that that's a game that has uh, come to the to the Western world. So there is a, a race, uh, if we can uh, call it like this, to, to kind of uh, to, to, to win this um, this game from uh, many, many players. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think that's something that we are going to increasingly uh, see in terms of uh, evolution. And I think the open platforms, the open marketplaces, the ecosystems, the APIs, the API, open banking, the big data, analytics, apps, I think these are going to be the main uh, kind of uh, themes around which uh, the, this so-called uh, third phase is going to, to evolve around. And I find it uh, very, very interesting to, to watch uh, what's happening in this, in this space. Yes, indeed, indeed. Perhaps later in the episode, um, we can hypothesize on the the potential fourth phase of fintech. (laughs) But but for now, let's, with with these next set of questions, um, look at the trends in the fintech space and the solutions they're delivering. Okay, Um, this question fascinates me, and I would like your take on this. Do you believe that FinTech has enabled some of the emerging markets across the globe to bypass certain old established financial structures and therefore expedite their development in certain business areas. If yes, can you provide my listeners with some examples of this? My answer would be yes, certainly. And I think we have more than a couple of uh, good examples. I think for the for the sake of time, we can maybe focus Please on, on two of them. Good. <laughs> yeah. So I would say that the first one for me, it's the, maybe the best, uh, the best example is Asia and more specifically China. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I think uh, what we have seen happening in this market, uh, so let's say back in 2004, uh, we have seen Alibaba creating Alipay. And just for, for those who are not very much familiar with, uh, with China, I would say that uh, Alibaba is uh, China's version of Amazon. Just let's put it like this. Mm-hmm. And then we had also, so basically what they have done is that they have... Um, let uh, millions of potential customers who have basically lacked uh, credit and debit cards to shop on their fast online marketplace. That I mean, and, and that was basically the, the, the beginning of the story. Then in 2005, I would say in a parallel, kind of in a parallel sequence, we have um, uh, Tencent, which is the company behind, uh, let's say the, so let's say that this is the, the Facebook of China. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the company behind uh, WeChat. Uh, so and then, so this is the second kind of dominant service in, in China. Uh, and they have basically basically launching a payments function uh, in a bid to keep users inside their messaging uh, app. Mm-hmm. So I think what we have seen in China is that they have been kind of uh, all these uh, apps and, and, and big tech uh, kind of uh, um, players, they have been essentially circumventing uh, one phase of evolution, which goes through the banking rails. So instead of using card machines, cash registers to process transactions, uh, they have been using uh, QR code payments, uh, quick pay, uh, in-app web hosted payments, in-app uh, purchases. And that's why I think we have seen um, 
kind of uh, all this uh, evolution in China and in Asia. I think they're far, far ahead of us in terms of uh, mobile adoption, in terms of uh, sophistication, in terms of innovation. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you compare what has been happening, let's say, in China, uh, in terms of addressing the needs of the customers and of the merchants, with what has been happening, let's say, for example, in the Western world, let's take US or let's take uh, Europe, for example, then you're going to see that uh, whereas this revolution has been happening for specific reasons in, in China, I think in the in the US, for example, uh, the focus was on the on the on the card uh, transactions. I think the all the global uh, networks uh, have been trying to upgrade their infrastructure, so they they. they uh, uh, cards uh, are still the backbone of uh, e-commerce and digital payments as of uh, as of today. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think we see kind of couple. Uh, we see kind of two different uh, systems uh, evolving, and uh, one of the main reasons why, just going back one step to my previous comment, why we have been uh, seeing China kind of leapfrogging the the card-based system. I think comes from the fact that uh, on the one hand side, we had merchants resisting very, very much the fees that the card networks uh, would uh, uh, propose. Even a small fraction of them would seem enormous for, uh, for many uh, merchants uh, in China. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is that uh, this was a cash-dominated economy. And instead of transitioning, let's say, uh, as we would normally uh, probably expect in, in the West, to a, a, a traditional banking infrastructure. I think they kind of, as I said before, they kind of leapfrog this card payments yeah. uh, system yeah. through all these uh, innovations and uh, through all these uh, kind of alternative uh, payments, uh, if you may. Mm -hmm. okay. So that, that's one example very, very quickly. And the second example, I think it's also going back to, I think this time it goes back to, to Africa. I think in this case, uh, we have seen that the, the fintech development has been led by telecoms mm -hmm. on the back of mainly two factors. Uh, the first one, again, is in, in, in a similar kind of situation to what we talked before. There was no, inf I mean, up to today as, uh, as well, there is no infrastructure in, in, in Africa. So basically, the way that uh, people are accessing uh, any kind of service is yeah. going through the mobile phones. So this was the, the rapid uptake, uptake of uh, mobile phones. Mm -hmm. And then the fact that there was uh, a very, very much underdeveloped uh, nature of, of banking, essentially no banking at all. So the mobile mon money, uh, the provision of basic transactions and savings through e-money on a mobile phone. I think uh, that has been a huge success. Uh, Kenya and Tanzania and probably the, the, the two uh, most well-known uh, cases. Uh, we have uh, M-Pesa uh, in Kenya. They have launched in 2007. I think they remain Africa's uh, best-known success story. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, the, the, the payments that are actually uh, done by uh, through M-Pesa, I think they are even exceeding the, 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 the GDP of, of Kenya. So that, that's a remarkable way also to, to understand uh, that uh, fintech can provide alternative paths uh, through technology, uh, basically. Uh, and I think they're always uh, kind of uh, good solutions uh, if people are willing to, to take a look, a look at uh, other ways to do things. Um, let's stick with, um, you mentioned traditional banking um, structures. And as you mentioned earlier, FinTech has taken off 
in the last few years. And I, and I, I actually wonder what the impact, good or bad, it has had on the traditional banking models. First, the impact, and then what would you say are the biggest risks fintech poses to, to, to banks? And lastly, do you consider fintech to be a financial institution in its own right? Mm-hmm. Very good questions, all three of them. I think they're closely connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of, of the first one, let me start with saying that uh, I think that uh, the, the impact of uh, the fintech uh, evolution or evolution, as uh, some people call it, uh, on the on the finance industry as a whole, and in particular on incumbents, mm-hmm. I would say is a, is a positive one. Because on the one hand side, I think uh, if, if we take a look at what has been happening before the advent of, of fintech and before all these uh, services as we know them today, mm-hmm. I think if you if you if you went to a let's say to a to a branch, I don't know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you name it. Uh, then things were very, very different from what uh, we see today. So basically the trend was that there was a very uh, rigid, I would say, infrastructure, a few products, uh, not uh, very flexible, expensive services, and uh, above all, I would say, take it or leave it approach. So this is what we offer. I mean, if you you want to have a mortgage, for example, with, I don't know, four or five percent in the straight and uh, this kind of terms is okay. If not, then you're not able to buy a house, for example. And I think uh, the introduction of uh, specialized players, because this is how fintechs has, uh, have started. Uh, so they have been uh, basically addressing pain points in, in these markets. Mm-hmm. So for example, let's say effects, let's say remittances, let's say payments, let's say specialized uh, lending uh, segments. Uh, I think they have uh, shown that there is a, a way to do it uh, well and to also address the customer's pain points. And I think this has been one of the reasons that has kind of pushed also the traditional financial institutions or the, the banks or the, 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 the big players or the traditional players to also upgrade their services, their offerings, and also try to adjust to what the clients are asking. So I think that's that's one of the of the positive effects I've, uh, I've seen. Now, um, in terms of uh, how this has evolved, I think uh, we have seen uh, all these fintechs going through a, um, a maturity phase. I think the, that uh, the incumbents have also been going through a maturity phase, although, and I think it's fair to say that uh, the pace uh, with which uh, a bigger institution can move uh, is not as fast as the, the the new ones. I mean, only because they have uh, technology, they have uh, structure in place, they have uh, um, lots of regulation to to stick to. So it's not easy. But they have been trying to move uh, in a certain direction. I think that that's that's something that we we have to say. Uh, I think after uh, a decade or more, we now find uh, many, many fintechs that have uh, been, uh, that have evolved from this uh, kind of niche market or niche segment approach to multiple products, multiple offerings. Uh, Some of them have also, have even have uh, the scale nowadays to compete in some of the segments with uh, bigger players. And I think that's good for, especially for the, for the consumers. 
-hmm. And uh, I think we have also even seen some of the fintechs uh, even uh, going the, the, the other way. So we have seen many, many banks uh, investing in fintechs or buying fintechs or uh, kind of uh, working together with fintechs as a way to kind of, um, let's say, uh, take a shortcut in terms of offering products and services. Yeah. That has been quite common. But uh, okay, I mean, this has not been very, very much the case, but in a few cases, we have also seen the reverse. So we have seen, for example, fintechs uh, getting banks. Uh, I mean, uh, one name that comes to mind is, is Raisin also, uh, which is very successful in, in Europe, also buying a bank uh, that they have been working with uh, a few years ago. So I think that's something that we will be all the more uh, seeing in the, in the future. And I think that this is also, so good overall for the for the system, I would say. Mm -hmm. So, would you consider fintech a financial institution in its own right? I I would say no. So I would say that in most of the cases, uh, the focus of fintechs, I would say, is on the second element is on technology, and it goes back to where we started. So I think that technology is the main layer and the main influence of what they have been offering, mm -hmm. and in most cases, they have been trying to improve. Uh, access to financial services through technology and address the pain points of technology. Now, along the, along the so when they started, basically nobody had any license and everybody was kind of uh, renting the licenses or working with traditional uh, institutions uh, to to have, to be able to to offer the services. Mm -hmm. As they have grown, what we have seen is that there was a need, and I think we see this all the more often. So there was a need for them to either. Uh, get uh, traditional regulated licenses, let's say for lending, for, for payments, because uh, these are facilitating uh, very, very much uh, the, the, growth, the growth phase of, uh, of fintechs. So we have seen, let's say, the so-called neobanks. Uh, everybody has started with uh, without anything, without any license, with a basic product, uh, focusing around one niche market. And now most of them, I don't know, if you take the, the Revoluts, if you take the N26 uh, of this uh, world, everybody has a license. Mm -hmm. So I think you could say that they have been, uh, some of them now have been uh, becoming um, financial services institutions. However, I would say that uh, going back to my initial comment that the focus of what they are providing is uh, technology on the one hand side. And on the other hand side, they would say that they are, I mean, almost everybody has uh, kind of stayed one layer before the hardcore. So the hardcore of uh, the infrastructure, I think, lies still with traditional financial institutions. And this is also connected with uh, the regulation, with compliance, with all these complex uh, things that uh, nobody wants to, to really touch. So my take is that this is going to stay also in the future uh, with uh, traditional uh, bigger players and that you're going to see more uh, partnerships and cooperations in terms of, uh, uh, let's say, in terms of uh, both sides finding a common place and a win-win setup to, to take uh, whatever each side uh, considers uh, uh, a given. Okay. Um, uh, as a side question, because um, I'm seeing this now um, with traditional bankers moving into the fintech space, are, are they traditional bankers? Are they able to easily transfer their skills into the fintech environment? And what are the challenges there? You mean in terms of people, right? I yes. mean, if you, yeah. So, uh, 
I would say that um, we have seen some uh, successful cases or examples. And uh, on the other hand, we also have seen some uh, uh, examples where it has been more difficult to do so. And I would say that, uh, I mean, in general, uh, one of the things that is different in the fintech space or in the startup space versus a, a traditional banking environment, mm -hmm. uh, first of all, is size. Second of all, I would say is uh, flexibility and agility. And the third one is maybe the lack of structure. So innovation and initiative. So I think what, uh, because I, I mean, I have been on both sides of the fence and my experience is the following that uh, in terms of working for a traditional bank or traditional financial, financial institution, mm -hmm. what normally tends to be the case is that you have uh, a very well-defined structure. You have processes in place, uh, you have roles in place and uh, Normally what happens is that you are not kind of allowed to go beyond what you should do. So mm -hmm. you are, your vision also remains kind of uh, restricted in what is your expertise. So you don't have, uh, I mean, if you, if you take out, uh, let's say, the, the, the senior executives, mm -hmm. uh, most of the cases you don't have the full view, you don't know what's happening, you don't know why you are doing certain things now. If you go on to if you if you jump onto the to the other side of the fintech space, I think there is a need, especially when you have uh, when you are in a growth phase, to do uh, more things, to be much more flexible. Uh, you have you don't have the process in place. Uh, in certain ways, uh, you have to also be very much innovative and try to address the pain points. I think you have to challenge the status quo. So, for example. Uh, if something is working like this and has uh, always been working like this, uh, I mean, the, the the best approach is, okay, is it effective? Is it working well? Is it, is it addressing the pain points of the customers? Can we change it? Can we improve it? Uh, can we grow the business? I think these are questions that uh, most of the times are more difficult to answer in a much more structured uh, environment. And if you take all these uh, points and you bring them together, I think this would uh, kind of summarize the, the the difficulty that some of the people have in terms of transitioning from from one place to the to the other. Uh, so even for the the senior uh, people who have been used to leading teams and to kind of uh, let's say to to managing uh, people and, and projects, sometimes uh, there is a certain need to to do things on their own. And I think that's a mentality that for some people is, is quite difficult to, to, to get rid of. But they have to kind of have a hands-on approach and be the, also the ones who are uh, leading uh, or things and taking the initiative in, instead of uh, waiting for, for others to, to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. No, that, that's pretty comprehensive. Thank you for that. Okay. Um, staying with uh, trends. What would you say is in and what is out in fintech at the moment? Mm. Okay, that's a, that's a very good question. And I think, uh, I mean, there are lots of trends. I will try to summarize, uh, let me think, I mean, uh, if I can uh, kind of uh, summarize this on, in five or six, uh, six categories. Mm -hmm. So I think the first one, and it goes back, I think that's something that, that we've already seen. So, so that's a given uh, nowadays, but I think it, it, it's worth uh, mentioning. So I think we have transitioned from this vertical integration setup that used to be the case to a platform approach. So, and this is going to be the future. So, I mean, if you, if you take a look at the world's top financial institutions, let's say 10 or 11 years ago in 2010, there is a famous uh, comparison. 
we had a list exclusively consisting of traditional banks, everybody in this top 10. Mm-hmm. 10 years later, 2020, half of the players that made it to the top list are, I mean, five, 50% are platforms. Mm-hmm. The, the likes of Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, etc. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's very indicative. So that's one in terms of the potential of the platform approach. The second one, which is also what we are considering as a game changer in uh, Unzir, I think is the rise of alternative payments. So, I mean, we have mentioned some of them when we have been, uh, when we have addressed uh, China, but for example, from, I don't know, from virtual mobile wallets to buy now, pay later uh, schemes that have, uh, um, let's say, revolutionized the way that we, uh, that we shop. Uh, to P2P transfers, to account-to-account, cash payment schemes. I think we have now, what we are now witnessing is that we are, uh, there is going to be an increasingly diverse number of payment methods going beyond cards and cash. Mm. And I think the the, the e-commerce, the technologies, let's say the 5G that we are now seeing, uh, that uh, brings uh, Internet of Things, all these are things that will be uh, moving to the next phase. And I think these are going to be also a factor um, uh, playing a role in terms of these uh, alternative payments uh, becoming stronger and, uh, and stronger. So that's the, the second uh, trend I see. Um, the next one I think has to do with the infrastructure, uh, especially on the payment side, which is likely to consist, I mean, I talked before about the cards and how the, the old rails are uh, kind of uh, can be combined with the new rails. I think this is uh, going to be the case in an increasing uh, trend. So you're going to see a multi-rail setup where cards will coexist with uh, real-time payments, account-to-account payments, and of course, uh, facilitated by open banking. So open banking, I think is going to be, or is is a game changer in terms of how we are, uh, we will be doing payments. And I think that's why we are seeing uh, Lots of uh, big players uh, take Visa, take MasterCard, take the other big techs uh, that they are also fighting for redefining uh, their role in the game and how they they do things. So that's, uh, I think that's something that is going to influence things uh, going forward. Um, embedded finance, finance. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's a, I, I know that I've been uh, using the, the term quite a lot, but I think this is really a game changer in terms of uh, simplify, not only simplifying the customer journey, but also enabling value-added services such as incentives, in, uh, discounts, additional products, and basically allowing non-finance companies to offer um, financial services products. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this is also going beyond to a second layer. So for incumbents, so because the embedded finance uh, kind of movement has two layers. So one is that every company, as I said before, can offer financial services uh, through other providers. And then in terms of banks, I think this is a huge opportunity, which is the so-called banking as a service uh, model to kind of provide the infrastructure to uh, to players to enable this. So I think that's going to be very powerful. I think what we see today uh, is only a fraction of the of the potential. Um, and as a last one, I th- uh, not, not many people uh, um, consider this as a, as a trend uh, changing things, but for me, 
uh, is a is one to to watch is the so-called tokenization. So, I mean, it refers to the, it goes back to the blockchain and to the process of issuing a token that represents uh, in a digital form a tradable asset. Mm -hmm. But I think it could reshape the way that we are investing and that the way that uh, let's say uh, sellers are connected with buyers and how, let's say, assets are represented uh, by a, a fraction of, uh, so let's say that I have a, an asset and I can divide the asset in, uh, in many, many uh, pieces in a digital way. And I can also assign ownership in terms of uh, uh, these pieces. So I think that's uh, something that is going to, although we still have some way to go in terms of addressing some pain points, I think there's a lot of potential in this. It's fascinating, fascinating. Let's continue with the non-finance companies that you've mentioned. I want to look at specific cases outside of the financial sector for this question. Can you give me an example of how fintech solutions, how a, a particular fintech solution has helped an industry um, outside of the financial sector completely change the, uh, their modus operandi? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um... I think one example, so if we if we would like to stay completely outside of financial services, because there are many connected uh, kind of, let's say, yeah. segments with financial services, like insurance, for example, but let's try to, to take it out yeah. and try to see what has been the impact in other industries. So the first one that I would uh, name has to do with uh, investment. So if you take, for example, the, the crowdsourcing or the crowdfunding movement, uh, I think it's, uh, if you compare the way that somebody could raise money, I don't know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago with uh, the easiness and the speed that they can do it today, uh, I think it's fascinating to see the difference. So, and, and it's a big uh, value added for people that uh, want to, uh, they, they have an idea and they quickly want to raise money and uh, realize their, their dreams. So that's something that I think has, uh, has been a game changer. Now, uh, the second one I think I mentioned, so the fact I, I mentioned before the, the so-called business banking as a service uh, model, mm -hmm. enabling any company to be a fintech company. And I think what we are now seeing, and it goes back to your question, is that we are seeing, I mean, the industries and the definition of the boundaries between the industries are becoming a bit blurred, I would say. Mm. And I think you, you see many, many companies from different industries wanting to go and offer uh, products that they see and services that they see are kind of complementary to their offerings. And if you take this uh, banking as a service and this embedded finance uh, concept, uh, I think this is also going to be dramatically changing. Uh, on the one hand side, the providers of the of, of, mm -hmm. of many offerings, and on the other hand side, how we are consuming this. Because I think at the end of the day, the consumers are trusting a brand. So as long as they have a, are they trusting the, the brand and they have a provider that they are regularly uh, shopping uh, with, they should be willing to also buy other products and services from them. And I think that's uh, sitting at the core of what you're going to see here. Um, another one is for me, supply chain and uh, specifically, I would say trade finance. Uh, and although I think we still have a, a way to go in terms of uh, use cases and in terms of maturity. I think uh, the way that we have been, for example, uh, blockchain consortia uh, forming in terms of bringing together a number of players, 
-hmm. it has really revolutionized the way that uh, of uh, supply chain and trade finance. Uh, I mean, we have uh, names like, I don't know, I mean, if I can name some names, we have, I don't know, Marco Polo, Batavia, we train. So these are kind of specialized uh, consortia. But the thing is that they have been bringing competitors into the same team, trying to address uh, problems in an ecosystem way. Uh, I think we have more, more 40 uh, of this kind of consortia uh, in a global uh, scale. Not, of course, not every, everybody will, will survive. But I think the fact that we have this huge uh, improvement opportunity in terms of complex and inefficient businesses uh, in trade finance, I think that's a, it's, a, it's a very famous uh, domain in terms of uh, improvement potential and of uh, bureaucracy and of uh, paperwork. So I think the benefits of combining this and this ecosystem approach, uh, the increase of transparency, the trust building, the cost reduction, uh, the, as I said before, the uh, bringing together of uh, competition and of big players, I think that's something that we have seen on, only because of this uh, of this model. So th these are, uh, I think, good examples of uh, fintech going beyond the, no, uh, the, the boundaries. I was only expecting one, so I'm really quite thrilled that you've given me a few uh, and for my listeners. Um, this will be the final question to all the guests in this new series on North Heads Talk. So I'm going to be very fascinated by the various responses to this question. So here we go. What is, it's sort of a two-part question, what is the app you cannot do without in the fintech world and why? I'll ask part two of this question after. So what is the, what is the invaluable app to you? Mm. I, I would say that in this sense, I'm a bit of... Uh... So I think I'm a bit of traditional and not. So on the one hand side, I think the, the app, uh, I mean, uh, my e-banking app uh, with which I'm doing transactions every day is uh, indispensable. So that's something I would say that uh, probably is expected. On the other hand side, uh, I, I do tend to try out many, many apps also because of uh, curiosity. So whenever there's a new service coming out, or whenever there is a new fintech uh, launching something, I tend to download the app, uh, play a bit, uh, uh, see how things are working, uh, and maybe then going to the next one. So uh, in this sense, I don't have, let's say, uh, uh, an app that is uh, beyond the e-banking that is uh, kind of, uh, let's say, uh, permanent on my, on my mobile phone. Uh, apart also from, uh, I mean, Apple Pay or Google Pay, this kind of payment methods, I think they're very, very... Uh, easy and flexible, and I would also kind of consider them as part of what I uh, would like to continue uh, using. Okay, okay. And, and the second part, interesting one, what is the solution that you think is yet to be developed, but sits within the fintech world once available? I don't think that I have one uh, specific one to mention, but I would like to mention, and I think I've uh, to mention the, in general, what is a big opportunity, or at least what I see as a big opportunity, which is the B2B space. I think what we have seen so far is that uh, there has been a lot of activity on the B2C space, on the consumer space. Uh, but for me, the next uh, fintech generation will be increasingly dominated by B2B providers, focusing on addressing a, a, a kind of a long untapped opportunity, if you, if you, if you want. Uh, that has not been the case so far. So we have lots of uh, SME companies, we have lots of merchants, but they have not been uh, getting the services that they uh, they want. Uh, 
uh, I think uh, traditional institutions have been quite slow in terms of addressing these needs. Uh, and also most of the fintechs have been focusing on the essentially initially on the on the consumer space so i think that's something that is is worth looking at uh, that's also what we also try to focus on uh, at uh, unzer and if i can name let's say a very specific one uh, for example in this uh, b2b space i would say that uh, um, the the i think i mentioned the banking as a service uh, uh, example and another one would be for example the infrastructure for uh, the open infrastructure for um, uh, for SMEs and for, uh, for for merchants so if you so for example if you take an example at uh, the facilitation of companies like uh, Blade for example in the US that they do on the consumer space I think that uh, there is a lot of potential for companies who are going to be uh, doing the same on the B2B side. There are a couple of examples, but I think there is uh, much uh, more opportunity here. Uh, and I think that this is a fascinating uh, segment to, to look at. Okay, thank you for that. Um, listeners, please do follow um, Panagiotis on LinkedIn. Um, I'm an ardent follower of yours, a quiet follower of yours. He delivers some very good insights on current data on what is happening in the fintech world. So I, I do urge you to, to, to follow him, especially on that platform. Panagiotis Kriaris, many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you. Thank you. It has been a pleasure and uh, very, very good questions. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.